Our Father and our God, we come before you again in the name of Jesus Christ. We come to sit at the feet of the evangelist, Luke. We come to hear those words that you inspired him by your Holy Ghost. We thank you, dear Lord, that you have made your truth known infallibly unto us. And we ask today that your Holy Spirit would dwell within our hearts to teach us by that same word, that he would cause your word not to return unto you void, but rather to bear fruit in our hearts, that it would produce the fruit of repentance from our sin, faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to your will, that it might not be stolen away by the devil by hard hearts, that it might not be uh, burnt up by persecution if we read this shallowly, nor would it be choked out by the cares of this world, but that your spirit would make it to find uh, its true home, that it might be a, a, a fountain of flowing waters for us, that we might give all glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here now the reading of God's holy word from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden, when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him, and he that bade thee and him also come and say unto thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, Go up higher, then shall thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Amen. We have here, Jesus continued in most of Luke chapter 14, as, as we have seen and will see, is given at this feast of the chief Pharisee on the Sabbath day. Uh, this place that more than likely he invited other Pharisees and other uh, of the wise of the synagogue after the synagogue services to come and to dine. And others would there be, you know, in the, the, the galleries, the courts around the table uh, to, to hear and to benefit from instruction. Uh, and uh, Jesus is marking how they are choosing their seats. Now, when I say seats, understand, uh, in, in the, the world uh, where Jesus is, in, in, in Galilee, and Judea, and that region of the world of the Roman Empire, when they uh, set, well, when they dined, they reclined. And they would do so on couches, usually would have three or four to a couch. Uh, you would recline on your left elbow, and stretch out behind you, and you would eat with your right. And the chief place on one of those couches was the father's left, because you got to see everybody else. You didn't have to turn your head to talk to any of them, and it was a place of honor. And if you were somebody that sought out honor, as you know, Jesus says the Pharisees are like to do, or this is one of his critiques of them in chapter 11, verse 43, that their whole religion was seeking out the chief seats in the synagogues and feasts. And so they would come here and they would uh, look upon the table or the, around the tables and the couches there, 
And they would delight themselves if they saw open chief seats to take them up. They got there early enough. And, and this was their way. And Jesus marks this. We should note that the Lord does mark our common course, that he does often draw uh, spiritual ramifications for our everyday behavior, that when we are at the grand assize at the last time and the judgment is brought against us, uh, we will probably be shocked how much of it has nothing to do with uh, the gatherings of the church and the great courses of our life, and how much of it is condemning that comes from, if we're not in Christ, that comes from our everyday behavior. Jesus sees men who are seeking their own glory, even at a feast. A feast, a time of gathering, a time of good things. It's not, uh, we think of feast and we think of special occasions like uh, Easter, family reunions, Christmas. Uh, this is a time where they didn't have a, a, so, a fake social outlet in, in a TV screen or a computer screen or a telephone screen. Uh, that if they were going to uh, amuse themselves and, and be human beings, they had to seek out opportunities to be with one another. And feasts were far more common in those days. And so they are taking this, this, this social occasion to seek their own glory. Indeed, as Pharisees, godliness was to them mainly the reputation of godliness. We see this in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Right there in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, rebukes those that are hearing that, that seek to do their alms before men. And seek to make sure that people see them praying. And that they fast before men to be seen of men. And Jesus tells them that if that's what you're doing, you have your reward. Everything that could be gained out of that almsgiving or prayer or, or fasting is gained when others see you because that's what you were seeking. And then in the great judgment, there's nothing there. There's no eternal benefit from such almsgiving because it wasn't to the glory of the Lord. It was to one's own personal glory. There, there is no great benefit from those prayers because they weren't really to the Lord. They were designed to make us have a reputation of godliness. And that fasting didn't discipline our soul before the Lord. It rather uh, was a badge of self-glorification and self-righteousness to our neighbor. And all the good that has come of it will be lost as a passing vanity that that reputation is. Well, this is what he sees here. Uh, he is seeing men who measure themselves not by God's judgment, but by man's opinion. And what we see also as a sort of a side effect, Jesus doesn't bring this out, but it's clearly here in the text as that this doesn't lead to a strong party of godly men set apart from the world, which is what the Pharisees thought about themselves. It rather created discord and rivalries 
and struggles and a kingdom divided against itself. The kingdom of God in the world or the one that had the reputation of the kingdom of God in the world, the, uh, the, the Jews of the time, the church of the time, sad to say, because of its corruption and sin, was a house divided against itself. Because they sought glory from themselves and for themselves. Jesus sees men who are bringing judgment, therefore, upon themselves. And this is true in their social relations and the ways of the world. And this is the whole point of the parable. His parable is about a wedding feast. They're at a different kind of feast. But his parable is a wedding feast, and those that seek to to get the chief places, verse 8, are liable to have somebody more honorable than them show up. And in verse 9, they have to shamefully get up and surrender the chief seat of that couch, and everybody sees them go to the lowest available seat. And that's just the law of social relations. That's what you're going to find, and that's also the true of God's law. Uh, This is why Jesus can use parables. Because the law of God is infused throughout his creation. So in the material world, in the animal world, in the human world, in social relations world, political world, uh, the spiritual realm is all followed by the same law that we see most clearly in Scripture in the law of God. But Jesus here, I mean, he's taking a proverb. If you turn to the Proverbs of Solomon, chapter 25, 6 and 7, uh, Solomon writes, Put not forth thyself in the presence of a king, and stand not in the place of great men. For better it is that be said of thee, Come up higher, than thou shouldst be put in the lower in the presence of the prince in whom thy eyes have seen. Jesus takes this uh, proverb of Solomon and he uh, changes it to, to hit more closely to home with a wedding feast instead of a, a court of a king. But this was the picture that, that judgment was being brought because we were seeking to honor ourselves. A man's pride shall bring him low, Proverbs twenty nine twenty three, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. And if it's true in the ways of the world, it's truer in the judgment of God. Everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted, verse 11. Or, as we read this morning from chapter 3 of Proverbs, the curse of the Lord, verse 33, the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesses the habitation of the just. Surely he scorns the scorners, but he gives grace unto the lowly. Both James and Peter take that verse to, to show how we ought to be humble in this world. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. And what he says there is basically the wise are humble. Fools are the ones that promote themselves. We see it in in, uh, Psalm 18. David in uh, 25 to 27. With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. With the upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the forward man, thou wilt show thyself forward. For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but will bring low high looks. We see that this is just another principle of you reap what you sow. With what measure you measure, it shall be measured to you again. That God, when he executes, executes judgment against sin, he does it to the mere image of its desert. 
that if we seek to a, a false glory that is not our own, we will reap the shame that goes with that. But then he commends humility. Now, there's two ways we can read verse 10, uh, just to, to remind ourselves. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, or he that bade thee cometh, friend, go up higher, then thou shalt have worship in the presence of them that sit and meet with thee. We could read this, and sometimes commentators do read this as Jesus being with a bit of biting irony. But when Jesus bites with his irony, it's usually very obvious. Jesus is not giving instruction for the Pharisees how to receive honor amongst men better. He's not saying, look, you're, you're, so, you're so ambitious of the greatest room, you don't even see the best way to get to it is for a, a humility that's just as hypocritical as your godliness. Because that could be a way we read it. But he draws that spiritual lesson. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, though, true honor is the reward of true humility. Uh, we, Proverbs 15.33, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Before one is honored, there is humility. This is also a principle that we've seen several times in Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 13, verse 30, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. It's the same sort of thing he says when he says, I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. In other words, we can't receive Jesus Christ as he's offered to us in the Gospel until we're honest about our own sin. till we humble ourselves. And know what we need. If we are self-righteous, then we, since he's offering us righteous, we will never take it. And that's why the, the Pharisees missed out upon the grace of Jesus Christ. Because they did not think they needed it. They thought that they were too good for it. And they could not have been more wrong. But the humility that is given here is not the humility that was uh, derided by the Romans and the Greek philosophers of the day. And sometimes even by those in our own day. Uh, the, that craven, sort of crafty self-deprecation that seeks to make ourselves low in the eyes of somebody that, that would trigger their sympathy and pity and so that they would exalt us out of, of compassion. That sort of humility is unworthy of the people of God. It is the, the craven humility or false humility of weak men. But this sort of humility that is commended by Jesus Christ is one that brings forth other virtues. It is a sincere honesty with oneself, as I've already mentioned. It is an honesty with oneself that particularly in spiritual situations, but even in other situations, that looks upon not upon the specks that it sees in other people's eyes. In other words, the sins that it sees of others and congratulates himself that he's not one of them. Because that sort of humility imagines that God grades on the curve, by the way. And that as long as you're better than everybody else, you'll get in. Jesus says, don't, why are you going after the moat in somebody else's eye, when you see the beam that's in your own eye. 
This doesn't mean that we are necessarily more wicked than somebody else. There are some wicked people out there. But regardless, we don't know the mitigating circumstances in their heart or their education or their knowledge and things that might sort of mitigate the judgment of their sin. But we know that even when we commit what is considered by the rest of the world is some sort of uh, just a peccadillo, a white lie, something that's not very significant, we know the corruption in our own heart that leads to that. We might be considered great parents because our children turn out great, but we, but we might know better ourselves that but for the grace of God <laughs> were our children spared our weaknesses. And many other such things. There's an honesty about ourselves that ought to make us humble. That, that, we can be, that we can be at home with lowliness. But also love. Love is seeking the good of your neighbor and of your brother. And, and love demands, in a certain sense, a humble heart. Uh, Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4 says... He says, let my joy be in you, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, like these people at this feast. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man in his own things, but every man also in the things of others. So Jesus puts us, that humble man that comes into the feast, and he recognizes that there are many great men, and probably a lot more greater than himself, but it doesn't really matter that there are others that would benefit from being pushed higher on the couch. And so he will take the lowest. Out of love. And remember what Paul says here in Philippians 2 verses 2 through 4. He also then goes on in verse 5. Let this mind be in you that I just described which was in Jesus Christ himself. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped at. He was already that. It was not robbery. And he made himself a no reputation. And he was exalted for it. And he is exalted, though. He did so for the good of his church. That he might lift his church out of that lowliness and nothingness. That she might be the bride of Christ and know his love. So it's not a craven self-deprecation, but it is a self-honesty and a love of brethren. Because humility is not the fear of men. Humility is the opposite of cravenness. Humility is the fear of God. That takes serious what God says. That weighs heavily God's judgment, even when we trust in his grace and mercy and his love and we do not fear his condemnation. Yet we understand that our sin, nevertheless, goes against him who does us such good. It is humility is such that fears God and therefore has no time for the fear of man. It is like the distinction, it's not as talked about much nowadays as it used to be, between old money and new money. And new money might be richer than old money. 
But their, their gains have been recently got. And what can be recently got can be easily lost. And they tend to be the ones that, that show the bling and all the, the wealth and uh, ost- ostentatious uh, display of wealth. They tend to be also the ones that put others in their place and make sure that those walls that are separating them from the pores are high and, and that they don't come in contact where, whether well-deserved or not, the reputation of the old money is that he's so easygoing with money, he has had it all his life, that he doesn't mind being around poor people, he doesn't mind being around any others, he doesn't put on display because he knows how wealthy he is, he, he doesn't have to show it, he can be in his dingy sort of tweed jacket with his uh, leather um, uh, armrest. He doesn't care what people think. I get off on that rabbit trail to bring us back that, that humility is kind of like that. It is in good with the one that we ought to be in good with. If we care our, and concern ourselves with our situation before God, then we, ought, then we won't fear what man thinks. They might think that we're shabby. But the, kingdom, the children of the kingdom of heaven don't really care what the kingdoms of this world think. Because they know at the end of the day they're passing vanities. But they have that secure position in heaven above. It gives them the room to be humble and honest with themselves. And it gives them the room to be loving and gracious that they don't have to worry about the honor somebody else gets is taking honor away from them because God is infinite. And God will honor His children as He promises. Humility is the fear of God, not man. Concerned with God's expectations, not man's. Jesus says, Jesus uses the um, same conclusion, the those that exalt themselves shall be humbled and abased, and those that humble themselves shall be exalted in chapter 18 in the parable of the publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee goes in there and he says, I thank you, Lord, I'm not like those sinners over there, particularly that publican. And he tries to justify himself before God with these things that he is not. But the publican can afford to be honest with himself because he has nothing left to lose. Have mercy upon me, sinner. And Jesus says in 18.14 that it's that man that presented no argument for why God should be merciful. He's the one that went away righteous and not the other. Because whoever exalts himself will be abased and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. It is in that that we are free. Free of that burden than to pursue our own honor and free to love our neighbor. We don't have to compete with him. And so the admonitions for us this morning, uh, you know, first and foremost, just take note that the Lord does mark our everyday course. And our, our virtues and vices will show themselves in the way we behave every day. Our devotion to God will show itself in the way we sit at tables sometimes. And so the first thing we ought to do, and this is appropriate as we come to the Lord's table, is to judge ourselves lest we be judged. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, 31, in the context of the institution of the Lord's Supper, that we ought to judge ourselves. In other words, if we are honest with our own sin and condemn our own sin and wrestle with it, then there will be nothing to be condemned at the last day. That before God, we have done what needs to be done. We've recognized that we are sinners seeking to repent, and God will bless it. But if we seek to promote our self-righteousness, righteousness we don't have, then God's justice will be called forth that he will have to condemn us and put us in our place and shame us. To live for a reputation is, to quote Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, to have your reward already. But worse than that, to have your reward and then bring about yourself the just shaming and abasement of you. Self-promotion makes you insecure in your glory, but also a rival to those whom you ought to love. So let us leave our exaltation to the Lord. Do you think that he will dishonor those that have put their trust in him, that have come to him for mercy. He made himself nothing to raise his people, to raise you up on high with himself. He did not shrink back even from going to the cross. He cared so little about his own position and loved so much your own. We can, in taking up that cross and denying ourselves and following him, humble ourselves. Not in, de- in a nihilistic act of denying all glory, but knowing that that is the way the Lord blesses. That before honor, before glory, is humility. Let's pray. Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. We come and we beseech you for that grace, that good work, that virtue, that it might be planted in our souls, that it might be worked by your Holy Spirit, that he might show us a true sense of ourself, that we might be humbled by our sin, but that we might be emboldened by our love and devotion to you to deny ourselves, take up that cross and follow you. And we ask, dear Lord, that you would indeed exalt yourself in our hearts, that we might find our glory in your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.